This is part one of a two-part podcast. Hi, my name's Ryan. I've been a supporter of Paul's for many years now. I wish to get the podcast and video creation part of the system we call Paul back up to full speed. And I think Patreon support is a big part of that system. Go over to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. Make a pledge for each artifact that Paul creates. Again, the site is patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. You can also find the link in the podcast notes. Enjoy the podcast. Okay, so apparently we are now live. Um, and I want to, I'm looking at the chat. Maybe people will type in things so we know that we're live. But <clears throat> it's like we finally got it figured out how to use this stuff. And now as we started this session, it says that uh, this thing we're using now is going to go away tomorrow. And then there's this whole other thing now. And we have to, now we have to learn a whole new thing. I was just thinking, like, hey, I think we got this down finally. After all these tries, we're finally learning. Yeah. (laughs) We only went to the wrong place once. Okay, so we're doing a thing. This time it's a little bit different. Um, We found this stuff about uh, um, sharing the screen. So um, can you guys see the book or see the chapter of the book? We've got – it's up. Yeah, it should be on the screen right now. Um, chapter 24, The Conventional Lawn versus a Mobile Meadow. And this is what we're going to talk about today. Um, and so I think, a, a, so first of all, I want the people that are, that are live right now to be able to type something and say that they can see it. That'll be helpful. Um, oh, good. They can see it. Awesome. Um, uh, I think that, uh, the news from the news front is, is that, uh, we, the book is at the printer. And uh, uh, Sean was just telling me a moment ago about how the printer has lots of questions. And and so Sean's going to have to answer all these questions now, and it's part of the process. But it's happening. Also, the ebook version is now in layout, and the the uh, audiobook stuff has started. Now, there were there have been a couple of people during the Kickstarter, uh, and um, uh, one of them was a big supporter of the Kickstarter, and one of them is somebody who has been here at Wheaton Labs before for a long time. Uh, that would be Cliff Ponder. And they both said that they want to do the voice for the book. And it's kind of like, um, my understanding is, is that you have to be in the system where the audio book is being processed. So, um, uh, so Sean, you said that later today you're going to email those guys and say, hey, you know, Now's the time. Get your name in over there. Because right. apparently they're holding auditions. I don't know what that means exactly. I guess Sean, it, you'll. It sounds cool though. Yeah, like they're gonna read a piece of the book, and we're gonna be able to hear them read it, and we're gonna decide whether or not, you know, they've got the uh, the life and sparkle that we need for our book. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, and Sean's in charge of it all. So if you wanna. Bribe somebody. You have to bribe Sean. <laughs> Bribing me doesn't do any good. <laughs> and and, and oh. any any complaints can be sent to spam at. Uh... <laughs> so um, I know that uh, a lot of people ask that I read it, but um, my understanding is is to do the voicey part for a book like this would take like three weeks. 
and um, I, I'm just so drowning in projects right now. I, I don't see a way I can do that. And, yeah. um, and I'm already- it takes three weeks, but it also takes like sound engineering and proper audio processing and making sure that you don't have some weird fan noises in your room and all sorts of things that we both don't want to deal with, which is why we're going with a company that's just saying, yeah, we'll guarantee that all these things are fine. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, I'm, I'm, I, I feel like I, I feel like this is just a cheap excuse that anybody could just say like, oh, I can't do it cause I'm busy. And, and that's kind of, and so I feel like I need to spell out all the things but we are working on getting the pep book into an alpha state so it can be shared because that's one of the things that we offered in the Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's in works now. Uh, Raven's been putting a lot of work into it and Sean's been putting a lot of work into it. So, uh, But I've also been putting a lot of work into it. And then there's four other books that I have in the hopper that need to be brought up to an alpha state to be shared. And there's still some of the um, the candy to be handed out. I was driving an excavator yesterday. Um, we're um, making some changes to one of the roads that we have up on the lab, and um, and so I need to get back up there and, and do some more on that. Uh, and uh, there's just there's just stuff. There's just so much stuff. And uh, but. I will be going to the Seattle area here really soon for us. Uh, so I'll be working remotely. Uh, and another thing is, is that we have like 15 people here right now. We've got, uh, um, a bunch of people in the boot camp and then, um, our regulars and, uh, Coco is here helping to put together events. And, uh, somebody from the PDC last year has come by with their family. And so, you know, wow, big, big crowd. It was, the house was pretty packed last night. So. The, the bottom line is, is that, um, the audiobook is, the process is, has begun, and I'm, and I'm hoping that the, uh, printer will be done printing the books in about four weeks, hopefully mm-hmm. less than four weeks. And then the books will be on their way here. Um, and once the books have been shipped, then we hope to tell people about a specific date for the signing party. And that's when Sean is going to come here and we're going to sign the books because we've made that part of, we were, we've learned that that's an important thing. You don't leave out. Apparently people need to have their books signed. Um, or some people do. So we made that at the hundred dollar level, you get one signed book. And, um, so, uh, um, that's, uh, um, we're gonna so with Sean here. We're both going. We're gonna pull out all those books that need to have a signature. So I guess Sean, there'll be like seven hundred books because there's seven hundred yeah. people that supported at a hundred dollars or higher, and so we're going to have to sign. Get your hand stretches ready. Shit, that just seems crazy. Okay, and um, uh. But then we'll start once we we'll we'll ship those ones first. The hundred dollar and up folks will get theirs shipped out first, and then uh, and then we'll go on down uh, the line from there. Oh, um, uh, and hopefully the audio book and the ebook 
will be ready at the same time. And a lot of people have been asking about how is the ebook going to be provided? Um, and I think that where we're settling on is the EPUB format. Um, and, but, but we won't, we won't make any promises because we keep learning new things like every other day. Yeah. Um, so we'll be putting it out with the EPUB and it'll definitely be flowable. And we've already, so we had a bunch of people that were very insistent that it has to be a flowable format. We did a, a poll and, um, uh, I think it was like flowable had twice as many votes as static. Yeah. And, it, and part of flowable is, is that we can't include all the doodles and they're just doodles. They're not like critical pieces of the book. Um, and, and it's like, uh, so it's like, okay, you can have flowable, but with, uh, I think probably about 70% of the doodles won't be there. Uh, or you can have fixed pages and all the doodles will be there. And, uh, flowable is beating fixed two to one. And, and we've had some people that are already like, but I want all the doodles. <laughs> it's like, yeah, well, you gotta pick one here. <laughs> yeah. So, Absolutely. um, all right. So, uh, somebody is writing, Oh, I think that this is Raven. Um, she says 700 books. Don't forget to bring extra pins that are smooth to write with. Um, okay. Bring some pins when you come down. Okay, Sean. What? Am I going to have issues at the border with that? Maybe you should just <laughs> <Yeah>. get them. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't look like an American. Why pin. do you have three boxes of pens in your car, sir? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> A controlled substance pens. Uh, flowable, uh, like a Kindle book, can change the font and font size and other things. Yeah, we've had some people say something about like, uh, apparently you can change the font, which helps certain people who've like got dyslexia and stuff. Like there's certain fonts that help and you can, you can do that. Um, well, that or even just making the font size bigger or what have you, you know. Okay. Lots of lots of helpful things there. I personally enjoy that you can you can read it on all sorts of devices and you're not like pinching to zoom. I hate pinching to zoom. Oh anyway, right. Or or like when you read a static page on your phone for like a web page and you gotta kinda scroll it left and right as you're trying to read it. Yeah. Those are the websites that nobody goes to anymore. <laughs> All right. So what we're viewing today and um and so the pod people won't be able to see what we're viewing um uh uh is going to be the PDF. So this is the thing that was sent to the printer. So for those of you that are uh watching this over on YouTube, you're going to see the actual chapter. And uh, this is uh chapter 24, the conventional lawn versus a mobile meadow. And for those of you that are read my article on this there are some things in this that are new and improved um although i think the article is still great uh as it stands uh i i kind of feel a little bit like i wish it was still number one in the search engines like it used to be for ages um because then i'm like you know changing minds and mass and and it's like i don't even know what how seo works anymore um, so I don't, so I imagine that, um, 
like these big companies want to own lawn care, and so then they pay people millions of dollars to make sure that they're on top of uh, the web searches and stuff. And so a page like mine, you know, floats to the bottom. I'm probably like, you know, page 20 of lawn care searches or something now. But for a while, I think uh, I was, in fact, for a while, I think my article about lawn care was the only lawn care article on the internet, (laughs) which is, you know, big reason why it was number one. And that was still in an era when big companies didn't believe there was such a thing as the internet. Like that's just something that, you know, geeks do or something. Right. So things have changed. All right. And on the image, so this will be the first time people will be able to see this is something that we've added to all the chapters. Every, every chapter has a little border around it, around the chapter title. And this one shows uh, pathetic grass growing along the top side, and on the bottom side is our mobile meadow. Yay, mobile meadow. Fear the dandelion! Fear it! Wild, psychotic screaming goes here. No, don't fear it. That's just silly. The amount of money spent to teach you to fear dandelions is huge, all because most people can be convinced to buy dandelion poison. On the opposite end of the spectrum, there is a large movement to replace all lawns with gardens. So I'm sure you've heard this, food, not lawns. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. And I love what they're trying to do with food, not lawns. Mm -hmm. But I kind of feel like, you know, like there's, so for example, there's the thing called zero waste. Uh, And for a long time, and I don't think anybody, I think if you say zero waste, then it's like people, I could possibly dismiss it because it's like that's that's asking for a bit much zero waste and and so then they're less likely to get on board plus a lot of the people that are contemplating zero waste and i use that word contemplating then um it's like they're not uh uh they're 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 not doing zero waste they're doing less waste so and then there was that movie for a while zero or no impact man and it's kind of like, he totally makes an impact, you know, and it's kind of like, it's kind of so bugs me. But anyway, the Food Not Lawns group, I get what they're trying to do, but I kind of feel like, you know what, there's a time and a place for a lawn. Mm-hmm. And and so um, I, I kind of feel like I, I wish they, because I kind of, I feel like part of what they're doing is they're teaching people to do lawn shaming. And I, I, it's like, whoa, 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 back the truck up here. You know, can we, we can have a little lawn. That's okay. So, um, I'm plus a big thing. And this is why it fits so well in this book is that with just a little bit of knowledge and a couple of small changes, you can eliminate your weed and feed and probably eliminate three quarters of your irrigation and have the nicest looking lawn on the block. And, um, to only people who will look really closely will you have a, a meadow, a whole bunch of stuff growing in your lawn, uh, along with, uh, uh, you know, grass, actual grasses. Okay. Um, although I am bonkers about gardens, I do enjoy a lovely lawn. It's a place for picnics, lounging, yard sales, kids to play, people to gather, it's a huge tool in the community building tool set. And I enjoy a lawn tapestry richer than the grass monocrop. I want to add in 50 species of plants and relabel my lawn as 
a mobile meadow and embrace and eat the dandelion. But that's a lovely conversation for five years into the future. For now, let's talk about how to have the most magnificent lawn on your block without toxic gick, using less water and requiring less effort. This is a probably a good time to point out that for a lot of people, uh, the whole thing about um, having a lawn is it's required by law. Most right. places in the United States, and I don't know if this is true in Canada also, you are legally required to grow a lawn in your front yard where people can see it. And and there's a bunch of stuff about, you know, how it has to look. Um, and if you don't grow it the particular way, so the fines can be steep. I, I saw something recently where uh, some guy had to leave for three weeks because somebody in his family was dying. And when he came back, he found that he had like uh, thousands of dollars in fines uh, which quickly grew to something like $30,000, you know, as he's trying to get it all sorted out. So, um, I, it's, it's kind of like, wow, this is, this is just brutal. So part of this is, is that if this guy had just mown his lawn just before he left for three weeks, it probably would look pretty fine by the time he got back and there wouldn't, wouldn't have been an issue. But when you mow it the wrong way, which is the way most people do it, then, um, yeah, fines clearly. Yeah. So let's in, see. In the in the big city in our province, which isn't particularly large, um, there's talk of, well, there's already like complaint driven stuff, but I think I I read something a while back where there's talk of like, basically making it so you are not allowed to grow a garden in your front lot, or and maybe it was even like putting a restriction on how tall your grass is allowed to grow. It's like really, yeah. I mean, uh, I I kind of feel like the solution to damn near everything is to get out of the city. Um, mm-hmm. But of course, you know, the city also has a lot to offer. Um, you know, uh, for example, some people have a permaculture lifestyle in the city where they uh, uh, they walk everywhere or yeah. ride a bike, and they don't yeah. own a car. Mm-hmm. And everything that they need, they've got all kinds of fun stuff that's within such a short distance. And it's a, that's a, a magnificent existence. But of course, it's difficult to grow a garden there. And, mm-hmm. a, and a garden is such a massive component. But all right, all right. For now, let's talk about how to have the most magnificent lawn on your block without toxic gick, using less water, and requiring less effort. Something that will be low in dandelions and other non-grass plants and something that will sequester 10 times more carbon. The key to the lawn care game is competition. Make the grass happier than the other plants and have almost nothing but grass. Battle for the sun deathmatch! Rig the game for grass. So for, for the podcast people who can't tell, that's a new, that's a new section in the chapter. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to read all the section titles the same way. I'll, it'll, it'll depend. Um, all right. So here's our battle for the sun death match. And so we're going to, what we want to do is we want to come up with stuff that makes the grass is happy, but the non grass plants are sad. Uh, mowing high is by far the most important thing, uh, by far. 
most important. That's actually written in the book. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm reading this. I, I can say it louder if that will help. And, and that's also written in the book. <laughs> there is a fight for sun. If the grass doesn't shade the dandelion, the dandelion will shade the grass. Sun is food. Food is strength and life. Shade is weakness, disease, and death. Grass will shade the dandelion only if it is tall enough. The shade of tall, dense grass turf will prevent essential light from reaching most dandelions and will aid in the destruction of new baby dandelion seedlings. This is a good time to point out that grass is a perennial. And so grass uh, just makes new grass plants all the time. Mm-hmm. Whereas like the dandelion and most other plants, most, most non-grass plants, uh, so dandelion is also a perennial. It lives about five years. And so it's like, okay, so you've got an established dandelion. It is going to become sad when it's surrounded by the taller grass, but it's not going to die from it. Um, and so, but after five years of mowing high, you'll, um, uh, most of the dandelions will have, that are perennial will have died out and then the new babies will not have gotten a good start. And so they will have also died out. So by after five years of mow of doing nothing but mowing high, then um, uh, you'll you'll have a lawn free of dandelions. But a lot of people start mowing high and they're like, "Oh, the dandelions are still there. It didn't work." And it's like, "No, no, dandelions. It's going to take a while." But um, I think you'll find that even after one year, you'll have, or even after about a month and a half, you'll have very dramatic results. After two weeks of mowing high, I think you'll already start to see a difference. In fact, on my article about um, lawn care, I have a picture where somebody uh, decided to mow sh- really short, and then I stopped them, and I finished the mowing, mowing high, and uh, then I took a picture like a week later, and you can see that the grass... Like you see the distinct lines, the grass that was mown high is um, green and healthy, and the grass that is mowed short is brown and sad. So it's like, oh, it's it it makes a dramatic difference quickly. All right, myth: if I mow short, it will be longer until I have to mow again. False! Wrong! Slap, slap, slap! Grass needs grass blades to do photosynthesis, convert sunshine into sugar, to feed the roots. When the blades are whacked off, the grass has to race to make more blades to make sugar. It then grows amazingly fast. This fast growth uses up a lot of the grass's stored sugar and weakens the plant. It is now vulnerable to disease and pests. Tall grass is healthier and can use the extra sugar to make rhizomes, more grass plants, thus thickening the turf. And and here we have this lovely collection of images that um, took us so long uh, to get drawn just right. Um, but uh, the idea was is that on the left uh, is the same grass plant 
uh, one got mode high and one got mode low. And then we're showing it a week later how the um, uh, smaller plant is um, making a very rough lawn very quickly and um, is, is like pretty pathetic and sad. Whereas the one that was mowed tall did grow up a little bit, but it's kind of holding things looking in this, this flat top look while at the same time putting it, growing more grass blades and having a deeper root system. If you have a serious dandelion infestation, consider mowing twice as frequently as you normally do. The sensitive growing point for grass is near the soil. The sensitive growing point for most other plants is near the top of the plant. So when you mow, it's as if you're giving your grass a haircut and cutting the heads off the other plants. Finally, when mowing, be sure to leave the clippings on the lawn. It adds organic matter and nutrients back into the soil. If you don't leave the clippings, your soil will begin to look more like dirt than soil. Soon it will be a form of cement that nothing will grow in and you'll have the world's most pitiful lawn. Some people are concerned about grass trimmings clumping. That only happens when you mow too short or when you don't mow often enough. So clumping is a real problem. So if you've got a big gob of grass and a bunch and it's sitting on top of your lawn, it'll make a dead spot in your lawn. So as that clump of grass that's like, and I'm kind of thinking of something that's like the size of a, I don't know, maybe a football. And so, and that's an American football. (laughs) Smaller than a soccer ball. Um, so anyway, uh, I think that the, um, uh, if you had something the size of a football and it's setting on your grass, it's going to break down in a very hot manner, so hot that it's going to burn the grass underneath and you're going to have a dead spot in your lawn. So you want to not have the clumping. And so if you mow often enough, then you don't ever get clumping. You just get these little bits of grass that fall between the grass blades and land on the ground, and then it's fine. It'll work out great. It's providing the perfect kind of organic matter for grass. Um, it's the clumping that's a problem. And so, if, and if you're clumping, then you know you got to solve that. Don't don't just leave it there. Um, mowing higher gives the following perks: more shade to the soil, which leads to less watering, deeper roots which leads to less watering. Thicker turf, which leads to fewer dandelions. Slower vertical growth, which leads to less mowing. More plant matter sequestering carbon. All right. Have, uh, so, Sean, I know I've, I've seen the chat thing has been pouring out lots of stuff. Um, can Is there anything that we should address? Uh, we've just been chatting a little bit about city layout and city rules and stuff like that. Okay. Um, I see something about enjoying the doodles. By the way, this is not considered a, a doodle, the one with the grasses here. This one is uh, considered critical to the story. And so this image will be in the ebook. Um, and this one will also be in the ebook. This is a critical image. Um, now that one there is just a picture of a dandelion. Um, that one um, is a doodle, and it may or may not stay. Yeah. So uh, we'll we'll see how it goes. 
Um, you know, I'm not sure how much of this. I mean, but a, quite a few of these images in this chapter are critical. I don't think there's a lot of bonus doodles in here. So um, I think all these images will be in the ebook version. Um, as if we do some more podcasts like this, which, by the way, it's uh, I've I've asked uh, Sean to make this podcast um, uh, as part of like I I would like to get my podcast kind of rolling again, and I said, hey, maybe once a week we can do a chapter. And and Sean said, okay, let's try for once a week, but we'll probably end up with like two a month or something. And, uh, and okay, cool. All right. Oh, I see something about dog poop um, uh, in the in the chat. And so there's nothing about dog poop in this chapter. I mean, this is more about planting the seed of an idea than it is about being a full book on my philosophies on lawn care. But when it comes to dog poop, let me just share uh, one quick thing. So the problem with dog poop in your lawn is, A, you might step in it, and that is not a good time. Um, <clears throat> B, if you're into barefoot. Right, and I think lawns should be all about being barefoot. Um, and, and so B is that as you approach it, it is putting off an odoir that is probably not doing well on the quality of life spectrum. And so it's like, okay, not a big fan of the smell. Uh, the sight, not a big fan of that either. Now, one thing that the dog poop does offer is that it's going to um, be a big uh, fertilizer hit, probably too much in the fertilizer department. So what I like and now this is a matter of taste, is to take sawdust and put sawdust on the dog poop. There's a couple of big reasons for this. One is I do not want to ever pick up dog poop. I mean, this whole thing where people have a system where they're picking up dog poop is like, okay, I guess it's respectful to the others, but I'm kind of thinking like, surely you can come up with a better system than this. So the concept of going somewhere and picking up the poop of a dog just drives me nuts. Like this, it, you, you need to design your system in such a way that you're being respectful to everybody while at the same time not picking up dog poop. Now, when living in the country, like when I was living on Mount Spokane, currently I don't have dogs. When I was on Mount Spokane, I did have dogs. I never saw dog poop. I don't know why. I think they just... You know, they went 200 yards out maybe and hit it or something. I have no idea what happened, but, but three different dogs made it so magically we never saw dog poop. Maybe that's part of it, but sawdust. So if you're in the city or whatever, like let's say you've got a backyard and you keep your dog in your backyard and now there's landmines everywhere. Uh, put sawdust on it. Uh, just put a, make a little sawdust pile. Um, now, granted, you know what's under the sawdust, and mm-hmm. so you're kind of like, oh, it's still there. But if somebody accidentally steps on it, chances are if there's enough sawdust, you're never going to experience the dog poop. The other thing is is that um, it's going to eliminate the smell, and another one is is that it's going to suck up a lot of the nitrogen from the dog poop so it's not too much 
fertilizer in one spot. It's going to balance it out. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like you end up transforming your lawn into these little piles of sawdust, which is you're kind of looking at that and thinking to yourself, like, I'm not sure if this is better or worse. <laughs> but for a, for a certain frame of mind, I think it's better because I think that um, uh, now – all of that, all of that material can work its way into the soil. Now, as your soil quality goes up, the dog poop will disappear faster into your yard. Of course, there is the problem of winter time, <laughs> and it's like yeah. whole damn lawns covered in sawdust. <laughs> oh, the spring but, melt is always a bit. Well, I think that when you get to the spring melt and you put sawdust on everything, I think you you won't really notice it at all. Yes. Yeah. So, um, all right. Uh, we have another question here from someone who's asking, if can I sow over my existing weedy yard? Um, you can. I mean, I, I kind of feel like I want to... Oh, I, w- I want to turn this into a two-hour-long conversation. Like, I, I want to know about your soil story. Like, like if you dig a hole two feet deep, what do you see? And, um, and I think that's more important because it's like, um, if your soil is truly pathetic, that only pathetic things are growing there. Then, um, and you go and you oversee. This is what they call it. I mean, I think ninety. I would say 97% of the time, overseeding is dumb. But, of course, it's going to be totally advocated by those companies that sell seed. <laughs> you know, yeah. hey, sure, overseed. It'll be great. I swear. Just in case. Can't hurt. <laughs> hey, and if it doesn't work the first time, you can always try 47 more times because <laughs> we got more seed to sell you. Yeah. He says so, he has clay, clay soil. Clay soil is uh, his answer. Um. And, and so I kind of wonder about like, uh, okay, what can we do? Like, let's suppose he's got two inches of topsoil and then the clay is like such a hard pack beneath that, mm-hmm. that, um, uh, there's no life in it. It's, it's like you could just, you could get a shovel full of it and you can go and make pottery with it. Right. It's like, it's like this is some serious clay. Let's pretend that's the case. Then, then my first thought is, is it's like, I want, I want to, like, that's, that's pathetic. I don't like it. I want to dig up the whole damn yard and I want to, I want to mix in anything into that clay down a good 18 inches to make it into, um, um, soil. Now we've got something coming up here in a bit. Maybe, maybe the thing to do is, is that we can come back to this. But, sure, yeah. Um, yeah, we but, have a couple more ideas later in the chapter that might. Uh, but for the most more. part, overseeding is a waste of time, you know, nearly universally. And and you just hear so much about it because there's somebody on the other end of that seed that's making some coin. And they're just doing their job advertising seed. And, yeah, if you overseed, there is a chance that a couple of those seeds will dig in and who knows, maybe it'll change. But it's like. Most of the time, it's like if you wanna if you wanna change the species of grass that's dominant in your lawn, 
then um, I think that usually the thing's gonna the, the thing that you're gonna want to do is to put down four inches of topsoil. And when I say topsoil, do not buy topsoil from a place where they're mixing dirt with something called compost. It's because that stuff that's that they call compost is usually uh, industrial waste. I mean, like, and, and I, I let me take out the word usually. It's industrial waste, <laughs> and and it's like uh, uh, don't don't get mixed up in that stuff um, uh, for a bunch of different reasons. Just please don't touch that. I've I mean I've got I've got a good hour and a half to say on why, but I hate it when we have a, a lovely thing going about permaculture and it ends up being in a big lesson about pesticides, yeah. um, and specifically in this case herbicides. So I I just I'm, I don't want to go down that road at this time. But how about when we get to the end of the chapter, let's come back to that one about the overseeding because yeah, we've yeah. got something, we've, we've got a bigger idea coming. Now, have there been any other things that are like now's a good time to, to talk? Somebody, I see something about three inches and it's like set your mower as high as it'll go. And uh, for some people that's four inches and some people it's three inches. If it's, if your mower will not go three inches or taller, you got to get a different mower. Yeah. And and I've got a really old cordless electric. I don't even know if they make it anymore. But uh, we replaced, we, we repaired the battery this spring. And Jocelyn's got a couple spots where she wants there to be lawn. And thanks to uh, one of these spots, it's kind of like a, a, a discreet spot for people to pee. <laughs> and and uh, boy, grass loves that urine. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 got some very healthy grass there, and so she's going down there and mowing it to make it this beautiful little lawn. And we've got a couple of other patches where we need more people to go out there and pee, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and uh, eventually it'll become this beautiful lawn. All uh, right. There's another question in here about: uh, Do y'all have an opinion on the use of a scythe versus a lawnmower? I think I think that uh, anybody who mows their lawn with a scythe should get like a special pin yeah. on their lapel and uh, be able to strut around town, and 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 then all people who see it will be like, "Ooh, that person's a better person than I am," you know, something like that. And so, um, uh, I I think it's cool. I think it's super cool. I mean. There's, there's stuff about using a scythe that, um, uh, is got some challenges. Like you want to do it when it's wet. You want to keep your blade peened and sharpened and, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. But, uh, I've seen it done. People can do it. I have not personally tried to, uh, scythe a lawn before, but I have seen it done and I am impressed. And so my, if, if you're, if you're mowing your lawn with a scythe, my hat is off. That is, I'm impressed. That's cool. He says, I wish, I hope someday I can grow up and be as cool as you. He says, how would I go about getting one of those pins? <laughs> I think you have to have it custom made because there's so few people that can get that pin. <laughs> but I think really what comes with it is the, is the marketing part that's going to be telling people, Hey, if you see somebody with this pin, you need to give them a big thumbs up, tip of the hat and all that stuff. Give them the recognition they deserve for being so fucking cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, <clears throat> all right. 
Any other questions at this time? Nope. Let's, uh, keep going. Moving along. Uh, uh, the next section is called Tough Training Leads to Strong Grasses with Deep Resilient Roots. Shallow frequent watering encourages thatch. The grass propagates above soil, uh, let's see, the grass propagates with above soil runners, like strawberry runners, rather than rhizomes under the soil. There gets to be so many runners that they weave a mat that chokes out water and air. Since the roots are in the top inch or two of soil, a hot day will quickly dry the soil and much of the grass will brown. Dandelion seedlings love a daily watering. It's just what they need to get a good start. I recommend watering deeply and less often. This will force your grass roots to go deep into the soil, deeper than the roots of most other plants. And as the top few inches of soil become bone dry, the seedlings of the other plants will die, while the grass still enjoys moisture from a little deeper. Two methods to tell when it's time to water. Method one, uh, the grass will start to curl before it turns brown. When it starts to curl, that is the best time to water. Number two, take a shovel and stick it into the soil about six inches. Keep the sun to your left or to your right when you do this, so you can see in the hole. Push the handle forward. If you can see any moisture, wait. If it's all dry, water. If you can't get your shovel to go into the soil this deep, you need more soil. The first method is the best, especially if you've not yet trained your grass to make deep roots. A tip for lawn care experts. Uh, and, and Sean, I'm, I'm guessing you remember, I mean, we've got probably an hour of debate <laughs> over this paragraph. Uh. Yeah, yeah. But this is what we said a lot. We can't change it now. It's gone to the printer. Nope. The whole time we've been going through this, I keep thinking to myself, Paul, better not say, oh, we need to change this now. <laughs> it's too late, man. It's too late. I'm I'm just seeing stuff. I'm, I'm kind of tripping up on some of the hyphenated word stuff and trying to mix that in with the M dash stuff. And it's like, uh, oh, um, what? Okay. All right, a tip for lawn care experts. If it is almost time to water and there is a rain shower, maybe a quarter of an inch, that is the best time to water your lawn to give it another three quarters of an inch. Remember, the grass roots are down deep and most weed roots are near the surface. The idea is to keep the top three inches of soil as dry as you can for as long as you can. That quarter of an inch of rain might make it so that your top three inches of soil is well watered by the lower nine to 20 inches. What? 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 At the lower. But, okay, all right. Okay, all right. Let me, let's, this whole sentence has got all these little things in here about, you know, um, metric stuff. And so I'm trying to like get past the metrics. Okay. 
that quarter of an inch of rain might make it so that your top three inches of soil is well watered, but the lower 9 to 20 inches is on the edge of being pretty dry. This gives the shallow-rooted plants an advantage over your grass. So um, I know that I've had people like years ago when I wrote my first article that it would start to rain, and that's when I put my sprinklers out. And I had people tell me, like, doesn't that seem dumb that you're, like, you got your sprinkler running at the same time that it's raining? And um, it's like, no, (laughs) this is this is the smart time. This is the smart time. Another thing is, is like a lot of times when you uh, use an actual sprinkler, then um, a lot of that water will evaporate before it even, you know, gets into the soil. Oh, yeah. Whereas if it's currently actively raining, <laughs> then it all goes into the soil. So, uh, no, actually, because uh, a lot of times when it's raining, um, you're, it's going to rain like just a tenth of an inch or a, a quarter of an inch. Whereas you want like a full inch, like an inch of water will go 12 inches down. And if you've got soil that goes down 18 inches, then you might want to even like, you know, get a, even more water to go down. Yeah. We, uh, we drove past a field the other day that had one of those gigantic sprinklers. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it was super hot. And I was just like, I bet you more than half of that is evaporating before it hits the ground. This is. Yeah. And once it hits the ground, most of it is evaporating there too. And, and you know, the, I think a big thing is, is that, um, I mean, we're going to, one of the chapters we have, and I'm not sure if we've put it into a, a podcast yet, is that, uh, that chapter where we talk about what to do with 20,000 acres is, um, replacing yeah. petroleum with people. Yeah, we did that one already. Okay. In which case, I don't think you're going to have any of those giant sprinklers like that. No. You know, how do we replace? In fact, with good lawn care, and we're going to get to this here in a little bit. If you take good care of your lawn, eventually you can, you can, in fact, I'm going to go so far as to say, eventually you can eliminate all of the irrigation from your lawn. You can have a magnificent lawn that's green all summer long and there's no irrigation at all. And, and we touch on that just barely here in a little bit. And I think that, that, uh, if, if I were to, write this chapter uh, and say that specifically, um, I'm not sure, Sean, would you be like cool with that? I would be uneasy with the idea. Okay. It's, I, I think it's possible, though, but I, I don't think it's a slam dunk. Everyone could do it. I I would I I'm I'm tempted to want to take up that challenge, but I, but I'm open to I'm open to the possibility. Yeah, I I think. I, uh, I, I, I've seen near successes and I kind of feel like, oh, I need to get a, in fact, um, I got to get moved up to the lab where we've got these, uh, uh, 40 foot deep subsoils. Um, and I could, I could try and make a lawn that is, uh, this magnificent and doesn't require any irrigation. Um, but that would be a project for another day. <laughs> Right. Um, here at base camp where I live right now, it's solid rock. <laughs> it's like, good yeah. luck. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you, the only thing you do is like, you know, pour on a bunch of soil, but anyway, all right. <clears throat> Remember 
the grass roots are down deep and most weed roots are near the surface. The idea is to keep the top three inches of soil as dry as you can, as long as you can. That quarter of an inch of rain might make it so that your top three inches of soil is well watered by the lower nine to 20 inches. The lower. But, ah, fuck, this is that same sentence, isn't it? Yeah. That quarter of an inch of rain might make it so that your top three inches of soil is well watered, but the lower 9 to 20 inches is on the edge of being pretty dry. Maybe we need to make a note for uh, a second edition to (laughs) enhance that but. (laughs) All right, all right, I'm going to move on to the next paragraph. Another thing about lawn care watering. I have discovered that if you're going – I have discovered that if you're going to water an inch, it's better to water half an inch – wait 90 minutes, and then water another half an inch. Maybe do this once a month. Sometimes when the soil gets really dry, it will repel water. This is called super deflocculation. I think Mary Poppins would be impressed with this word. If you put, uh, sometimes it's referred to as being hydrophobic, but there's degrees of of hydrophobia, and then there's the deflocculation. If you put a a little water in first, then wait, the soil is better prepared to take in more water. Remember, water has a strange and powerful attraction to itself. It would much rather stick to itself than disperse through the soil. Another perk. Every time you water, you wash away soil nutrients. So the less you water, the more fertile your soil. One last point about watering deeply. If your topsoil is only two inches deep, laying down an inch of water is a bad idea. An inch of water is good for watering 12 inches of soil. Further, an inch of water will effectively carry a lot of soil nutrients down deeper. So if your soil is only two inches deep, this rinses away a lot of your soil nutrients. Therefore, deep watering should be done only in conjunction with deep soil. This podcast is continued in part two. Don't forget... Go out to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton and make a pledge for future artifacts.